0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, there you have it. Uh, Small groups are starting. Time for group hug, I guess. Jesus designed his church for great relationships, the place to engage them, build them, experience them. But more than that, a place where you learn how to build healthy relationships. And Marcia and I have some of our best friendships that came from small group environments where we got connected. But the truth of the matter is, a good bit of how you're formed in relationships come from your family of origin, how you grew up, how your family did relationships. And so we're gonna spend the next four weeks together on how do you build healthy relationships, but we know that in families, uh, you, you get some of the healthy habits and you get some of the dysfunctional, some of the dysfunctional, some of the what? dysfunctional habits, too. Like, it all comes into one. And we're going to jump in these four weeks and talk about how do you build healthy relationships in a world of of dysfunction. And this is for all relationships. Whether you're coming in middle school, high school, and you learn these values and and principles and good habits early, or, or whether you're single or married, whether it's coworkers, whether it's in your small group, Neighbors, marriage, family. How do you build healthy relationships in a world of dysfunction? Well, my wife, Marcia, and I, we've been, shoot, studying this stuff of how do you build healthy relationships in a world of dysfunction for decades, from scripture to culture to, frankly, our own families of origin. So rather than just talk about Marsha, I'll uh, invite her in. So everybody across campuses, online, don't care where you are, if you're in the online community or 12 Stone Home, everybody say, hey, Marsha. Hey, All right. We're going to jump in. And, you know... Uh, Marsha, one of our kids, this is just random. Uh, our third one, Jake, he would never enter in like if he was going to get a shot from, a, from, from the doctor or he had to do something like, like the, that was, you know, jump into football and going to do something that he got to be invested in. He'd just stop and he'd say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Whenever yeah, we'd say, okay, this sure. is time. This is the moment. He'd say, I'm not ready. And then we'd have to wait. Okay, you ready? You ready? Listen, God has some great stuff for us today, but you got to be ready. So we're just going to do a little, we're ready. Okay, I want to hear that loud and proud across all the campuses, wherever you are, even if you're listening in alone. On the count of three, we're ready. One, two, three. We're ready. See, I think they mean it. So oh, let's so talk can... about it. On, oh, my goodness. We we jotted some notes down. We've been discussing this subject for four decades yeah. together. And uh, we have a way of looking in our background, our families mm-hmm. of origin, uh, we called my family dysfunction major. So my background—I come from major dysfunction, and most of you know some of those details. Uh, parents got married, out of high school, quit high school, three kids by 21. Uh, didn't didn't really break through in career, so mostly poverty, and it got worse with the years, and and broken marriage when. When I was about 12 years old, so the dad and the older brothers went this way. Mom took myself and my younger sister yep. and went that way. And, and really some just challenges all along the way. And with that, well, major dysfunction, which yeah. had to be a gift when, when I came to your house. I'm sure I was the dream. It, you know, yeah. For, yeah it was for, kind of the elephant parents. in the
1: room, but yeah. that's all right.
0: But let's not go into that. Let's talk yeah. about your family. So, how would you do? if I was major dysfunction? How do we describe yours?
1: I would say mine was minor dysfunction. What a
0: surprise!
1: <laughs> so we, my mom and dad, married in their twenties, married their whole lives. He actually nursed her um, when she got Parkinson's till she passed away a few years ago. Um, a very solid career. Wouldn't say we were like rolling in the dough, but um, I thought you were when I met yeah, you. Yeah, you. you did. I yeah, remember I thought, I'm that. I'm marrying rich. Married <laughs> it's into money. Be awesome. At and least, we had a house.
0: It's amazing. Don't <laughs> yeah. have
1: a house. Imagine. And you have room. It's amazing. <laughs> At least we never knew any kind of want or anything like that. Uh, very solid faith. Uh, we went to church every Sunday without fail. I could depend on that. Um, and our church, we had a great church. So uh, it was all pretty good. It's
0: worth the moment. I don't know if you'll do this. If your parents are around, don't raise your hand on this, okay? If it's not safe. <laughs> How many of you would say, I probably came from major dysfunction. Just go ahead, own it. Just, just major dysfunction. <laughs> just hands up. Just look around. Look. There's like, my oh, fellow major yes, dysfunction. Yes. Okay. How many come from more minor dysfunction? You'd say, I mean, has it probably there, but it's, it's minor dysfunction. Fair enough. And there are some risks that we've talked about through the years for us. Um, that When you come from Major dysfunction, one of the risks is that you kind of, well, well, it was bad, so I'm excused. This is the way I was raised. Right. This is what I learned. I'm excused. And so the unhealthy things that came along, um, it, it did more than explain me. It excused me. And I've, I've used that thought before. We're going to come back to that in the fourth week uh, of this series. But it, 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 the risk is that because I come from such major uh, dysfunction that I would get permission to live in it and say, well, that's who I am. I'm not expected to change. Mm -hmm. And then we've also talked about, um, in fact, you described it back in the day.
1: Right. I would say that I would be more, the danger would be to become self-righteous, that um, you have so many things that you feel like are all together, and you can point out from, you know, in other people's lives what is wrong, that you start thinking that you have it all together, and you have nothing more to learn and therefore, you kind of stagnate, or you become about the rules, like, oh, they aren't supposed to get divorced, so they're bad. You know, instead of trying to figure out who they are and create relationship, you're more about the black and the white of things.
0: And you and I had a few collisions
1: along the way
0: and had to figure out, in particular, how do we take this major and minor dysfunction come together uh, around maybe the most challenging of conflict, and that's going to be the topic for today. We'll get to other topics in the weeks ahead, but let's put the question. So we have a question for the day, and it is, how do you resolve conflicts? So everybody say it with me, kind of read it from the screen, wherever you are, so we know where we're going today. What's the question of the day? How do you resolve conflict? And Marsh, you and I have spent a fair bit of time on this. How are we going to resolve conflict? It was, how do we move from this dysfunctional to healthy? And there was a scripture that that was helpful to us that helped reveal some things to kind of insightful and exposing from James chapter four. Why don't you read it for us and let's start getting into the subject.
1: What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight.
0: So when we read that many years ago, it was the realization that not—it's not merely the conflict around us, uh, between us—that's—that's. That's- creating this unraveling, or with any other relationships, whether you're single among friends, or, 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 or whether you're in a dating relationship, or, or whether co-workers and the like, wherever your relationships are, it's not merely the conflict that's happening around you. It wasn't merely the conflict happening around us, but there was already conflict within us. And we brought into our relationship all sorts of internal conflicts and selfishness and battles and unresolved things and wishes and desires and, and contentions. And, and in all of that, we, we brought in a style, like you brought from your minor dysfunction, uh, but still dysfunction, some things that were the way you handled conflict. I brought from my world the way I handled conflict. Over the years, we, we've we've written. In fact, we, we did a little... Uh, uh, Marriage conference last week for for Friends Church out in Colorado and, mm-hmm. and and we gave them this list so we're gonna give you a list we're gonna like look at this list okay look at the ten there's more than ten but we just here's here's the ten we're gonna put in front of you here this, just kind of pick from this what's more like the way you grew up or maybe you would just say. More than how you grew up, what you've adopted, what has become kind of your, your dysfunctional way of handling conflict. So let, let's read us through it, honey. And, and you just pick as you go. It might be more than one of these, but go ahead.
1: Number one, get it off your chest, which is vomiting frustration. Number two, silent treatment. What's wrong? Nothing. Number three, gunny sacking. Store it up until you burst. Four, escape. Drink, spend, eat, binge, etc. Number five, recall old lists. Well, remember when you did such and such?
0: And, and hang on. You, how many of you have already found your spouses? Like, you can't <laughs> find yours because you're just so good. You're so self-righteous. But you've already found your spouses. Okay, let's keep going.
1: Number six, pretend it never happened. We're fine. Number seven, confide in the kids. Subtly accrue support. Number eight, blame. It's your fault I feel this way. Number nine, vent with friends rather than solve with spouse. And number 10, pity party. Did you find any? Did you, did you, or it, maybe it, more than one. Or maybe, maybe more than <laughs> one. So how how did we,
0: how, we've described, we figured mine out. I vent, anybody, you don't have to own it, but mine is vent frustration. I'll vomit it oh, and sure. get it off my chest and it's like when you're sick and you got an upset stomach, you vomit and you're like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> doesn't do anything to add to, the, to, to resolving conflict. doesn't resolve conflict. It just adds to it. What would yours have been? I would
1: say I try to avoid it. I don't like confrontations, so I would be more conflict avoidance. So that would be more of the, you know, what's going on? Nothing. I'm fine. Everything's yeah. fine. Silent
0: treatment. It worked really well in the house she'd be quiet. She'd shut up. And then I would speak up and vomit. It was fantastic. We solved all <laughs> kinds of problems uh, early so well. on. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't work well at all. And so uh, for us, the challenge to get past our past and get to healthy uh, came from Philippians two. And I want you to see this. We're going to come back to this a, a bit. It doesn't, It it needs more doing than teaching, but go ahead. Let's let's sit in for a moment, Philippians 2, because this is the counter, if you will, to what we just read in James.
1: Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others.
0: So Mm -hmm. if you say, well, how are we going to go resolve conflict? That's the answer. So now it's time to get inside the teaching. Everybody say, bye, Marsha. They mean it sincerely, honey. Here we go. Let's jump in. Let's get right to the question. Now's when you start taking notes. Now's when you start jumping in with your own head and your heart. Say, all right, God, help me. How do I resolve conflict? For the next four weeks, we're going to sit inside Old Testament characters. And we're going to unpack what you can see is some of the dysfunction in their life and relationships. And we're not really going to, we're not trying to attack them, but God did not hide the dysfunction that sits inside Their stories, And just maybe by stepping in, we can avoid some of the pitfalls. Maybe by stepping in their story, we can get freed up. We can get freed up in our single life or in our dating life or in our married life or in our friendships. We can get freed up among coworkers. We can improve the strength of relationships. Maybe maybe we can break through generational sin uh, on behalf of our kids and our grandkids and, and experience more joy and less sorrow. Just maybe by stepping into this, God can awaken some things in us that say, oh, maybe you come from major dysfunction, maybe minor dysfunction, but there are some things for you to learn. Our first story is Abraham and Sarah, and I'm going to highlight some things as we walk through the story, and, and I, we can't do the whole of their story. It, it sits in, in the book of Genesis. It starts in chapter 12. It runs through like chapter 26. It, it, it covers a lot of material. We're going to highlight moments where we see dysfunction, and it gives us insight. Now, don't underestimate the the quality of this couple. Abraham was called of God. He was he was. 75 years old. His wife Sarah was 65 years old. That's where the story begins, and this is coming out of uh, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis one, two, and three, and mankind has sinned, and all the way to to Noah and the flood, and and, and where mankind falls apart, and and then the the Tower of Babel, and so God's going to make a turn in history, and all of that turn is going to eventually bring Jesus through the nation of Israel, but before Jesus comes, two thousand years later. Somebody has to be the father and the mother of the nation of Israel. That is Abraham and Sarah. So these are men and women who followed hard after God as they understood him. And yet in the midst of it, they were imperfect. God doesn't hide the dysfunction. I had so much in my notes I had to cut for the sake of time. But I'll I'll hit a couple of them. One of them is just this whole avoiding conflict thing. And so uh, when you get into their story, you find that they left their homeland and they were going to Canaan land where God said, there's going to be the land. Eventually, I'm going to give to you and your family. And so this is going to be spectacular. And so they're traveling along. And, and, and when there was a famine, they went to Egypt. And, and, and Abraham told his wife, Sarah, now listen, when we get to Egypt, Pharaoh's probably going to think you're awesome and beautiful. And I like, well, that's spectacular because she's like in her 60s. which she lived to about 127, so that was midlife. This is like, man, she's that hot that the Pharaoh is going to want to take her from Abraham. Well, he was right. And he said, when that happens, they'll kill me and take you. Let's do this. Uh, call me your brother. And then they'll bless me and still take you. And that's actually what happens. So they get in Egypt. I mean, when you hear that, when you read it, you, you want to kind of skip it or make sense of it. Is Abraham lying? Is he misrepresenting? And it feels like a little bit of truth, a little bit of not true, and and it actually happens. And Pharaoh takes Sarah, and then and then. Abraham has, like, lost his wife. And it, it, it's a bizarre story that's just weirdly inside the culture. And You think, man, Abraham, couldn't you have handled that a little bit better? But fortunately, God intervenes and rescues and, and, and you know, arrests Pharaoh and says, yeah, this is a really bad decision. That's really his wife. Don't, don't mess with her. And then, and then God brings it, up, brings it all back together, and they do it again. They do it what? I mean, you can't believe it. Like, later on, God says, hey, oh, by the way, Sarah is the one through whom, I'm going to make you a great nation. So they have no children. I'm going to make you a great nation. There's infertility issues. And the great promise of God is that through you, I'll raise up the nation of Israel. They'll be the promised people, the promised land. Oh, but you can't have that without a kid. They don't have any. Be a miracle. How's that going to happen? And then God confirms it's going to be through Sarah. Sarah. Gives him a covenant, and still no child. And they pass King, King Abimelech, <laughs> oh. and Abe says to Sarah, "Hey, remember that deal we had where you pretend like you're my sister? And because Abimelech's gonna think you're awesome, also, and he's gonna want you. And so, you could just tell him you're my sister, and then." And he like gave up his wife again. I mean, when you read the story, you ever read scripture and you're just like, I don't even understand what's going on. It seems so dysfunctional. Had to be a better answer. You move on in their story, more conflict avoidance. God promises they're going to have a child and it's been over a decade and Sarah's finally got so much conflict within that's unresolved. Like, God, why are you not solving? And Abraham doesn't know what to do. And nobody really knows how to solve this. And they don't know how to wait before God and let it be by God's power, by God's design. And just sit inside this. They can't resolve the conflict. And so she says, well, you know, in this culture, a lot of people are using their, their, their servant, their slave is a surrogate. She has an Egyptian slave, Hagar. She says, Abraham, let's see if I can build a family as a surrogate through her. And instead of Abraham dealing honestly and directly like, God, that's not God's will, God's way. That's not how God said this was going to happen. He's like, I'll just avoid conflict. Let's go along with it. So they agree and make her surrogate and she gets pregnant. And then Hagar gets pregnant. And then Sarah's like, this was not a really good idea. And and then Hagar gets mad at Sarah and Sarah gets mad at Hagar. and, And then Hagar gets mad at Abraham. You ever watch conflict happen? way, like, man, I did what you asked me to do, and now you're mad at me, and who under all this conflict is just building until finally, finally, Sarah says to Abraham, and I got to let you see this from scripture, you just, you got to see what she said, you, she says this to Abraham, by the way, if you're married, you get this, you are responsible for the wrong, I'm suffering, like he did everything she said, I did what you said. It's almost like in the text, you can see the little bubble from Abraham, like, what did I do? Like this comical, I'm darned if I do, darned if I don't, that's in the Hebrew. (laughs) It's conflict multiplies because we're just different, and particularly between men and women. I think that's why um, on the more entertaining side, people like Jeff Foxworthy give us a moment of smile. It says just, women have questions that men never have the answer to because we're just so different. Enjoy. Fact of life, women always have more questions than men have answers to. Great example of this. Six, seven months ago, I get a text one day. The text says, please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. I walk into the kitchen where my wife is. I said, hey, I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. She said, was he driving? I said, I don't know, I just got a text that said, please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. Were Carol and the kids in the car with him? I don't know. I just got text, said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. Were the people in the other car hurt? I don't know. I just got text, said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. What hospital did they take him to? I don't know. I just got text said please pray for Tom, he was in a bad wreck. She said, Well, you don't know anything. What do you know? I know you need to pray for Tom. I just got text, said he
1: was in a bad wreck.
0: Come on, come on now. Don't you want to just do this right here like. Somebody understands. How many of you know that men and women are different? Just hands it. You, you get it. You get it. I don't care if you're single, dating, what age or stage, married, friendship, small group, coworker. We're different. But then we're just all different from each other anyway. And in the midst of that conflict, not unlike the conflict between Abraham and Sarah and all through their journeys. Like, how do you resolve conflict? And they had such dysfunctional ways. We all do. How do you get healthy? Which, by the way, let me just sidebar here. Don't think that Abraham was some kind of a milk toast who couldn't handle a real situation. I mean, his nephew Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they got pummeled by five kings who came in and had war against four other kings, and and they whisked away Lot and his family. And Abraham got all the men in his household, some 300, and they went and fought four kings and defeated the army and brought back his nephew. He knew how to handle that kind of conflict. You know, some of us know how to handle conflict in business. But when it gets into real relationship something breaks down we go passive. we get dysfunctional. Abraham wasn't even sure how to solve that inside his family. Inside his real relationships. I think that's true for us. I want you to know one more thing. There are things that we have that Abraham never had. You know this is before Jesus came, this is Before the Holy Spirit was poured out. You know what we have? We have forgiveness through Christ. He never had at a unique level. We have the Holy Spirit living within us, a power unlike they ever had at the time of Abraham and Sarah. And we have the teaching of God's word that we're leaning into today. And we have wisdom for how to live things that that they never had. And God was merciful to them and granted great rescuing. But one of the kindnesses of God for us is that you come from your family of origin. And then you come before God. You get the wisdom of God and learn the ways of God. And you live out Philippians chapter 2. Let's go right back to it. This is the answer to how you resolve conflict. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility in what? In what? You, you can't resolve conflict unless you take a humble disposition. It takes two people to solve resolve conflict, and it takes humility. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships, Oh, this is dead center on relationships. In all your relationships, well, be like Jesus. And that whole next section of scripture, which you're not going to get into, describes how he humbled himself. There are a couple of things that marked Marsha and I. To figure out, how do, you, how do you resolve conflict in the midst of major and minor dysfunction? Yes, I've called mine major dysfunction maybe for the first 20, 30 years. I, I didn't know how to navigate that. I don't even know that we have great descriptions for dysfunction. I I, I, don't, I, I I was in counseling in my late teens and and I don't I don't know if it's all true this way. the counselor said you know part of you understanding yourself and the dysfunction you carry because I had, I just realized by, I had conflict everywhere I went. And you know what that's like, right? If you have conflict in every relationship, which we sort of do anyway, but if, you have, if it stinks everywhere you go, it might be you, right? You've heard that before. And, and the counselor, he said, you know, you, you're, you're a weird mix. I'm like, oh, that's helpful. Counsel me. You're weird. Thank you. Say, so, you know, you, you're third born and you were a peacemaker in that kind of slot in the family. And I was, I hated conflict. I hated conflict then, I always have, and I still do. I said, but then when your parents divorced, you went from third born to your dad and your two brothers moving out and and then you are living with your your mom who's just emotionally desperate and your sister five years younger and you became the oldest brother and you have the first born characteristics and you have this bizarre blend in you of third born for the first 12 years and first born for the next decade of your life, you're kind of a mess. Well, that was helpful. How's that going to help me down the road, right? Everybody's got to, is that true? I don't know. But everybody's got to figure out themselves. And there were a couple of breakthroughs that were profound for me, for Marsha and I, that we try and bring in life for our kids and all our relationships. Two things. So this is going to be spiritual, practical. Let's go get this. It comes from what Philippians chapter two really means and the first one it sounds simple really hard to do hear and be heard so just write it down snap a picture of it get it in your head get it in your heart and if it's not immediately clear when I say how do you solve conflict first one is hear and be heard it means to get past listen get past the dysfunction of being heard without hearing of being heard without hearing I was really good at making sure I'm going to be heard. Really good at just, uh, we're in conflict, I'm going to vomit it out. Want to be heard, but not so good at hearing. That, by the way, is a dysfunctional behavior. It breaks down. It puts yourself ahead of the other. There's no humility in that. If you have to be heard and you're not bothering to hear, there's something breaking down in you. You're never going to resolve conflict. And by the way, just consider, it is the nature of God to hear. When Abraham and Sarah kind of messed up and, and didn't follow God's way and, and tried to do the, the solving how God was going to build the nation and give them a child and give them a, a, a child through Hagar as surrogate, and so Ishmael was born, God said, That was not my plan. And Abraham prayed, Oh God, would you, just, would you bless Ishmael anyway? And we're just going to insert a slice. I want you to see God's response uh, to Abraham. God saying to Abram, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I have what, everybody? Say it again. I have what? Just sit in that for a moment. I've heard you. Man, God hears you. How profound is that? You're not talking to a wall, not religion. Abraham, I hear you. I know what weighs on you. I understand you. I know how you experience this. And he demonstrates how much you matter in the way he hears. Hagar gets kind of pushed out with her son Ishmael off in the desert alone and cries out to God, and God hears her. Listen to what she says to God in response. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God hears you. If you're spiritually unresolved and you don't know God, he hears your prayer when you say, God, forgive me, and draws you into a relationship with him. He hears It what is often called the sinner's prayer. If you're a son or daughter of God, because you come into a relationship with him through Jesus, you pray, he hears you. And then says, now that becomes how you resolve conflict with one another. It begins with understanding. And there are steps and skills to hearing. And this is going to look pretty detailed, and I mean it to be. So snap a picture of it if this is helpful. Because you have to learn these steps and skills. So I'm going to put them on the screen. Here are the steps. If you've never learned how to hear, this is how you hear for resolving conflict. You speak, I listen. If we're going to hear each other, then one has to speak. You speak, and I listen. And I only listen. I'm going to give you some skills that go with that. I'm listening to understand. And then I speak. I repeat what you said. So the next step is, okay, I repeat it. I say to you, this is what I heard you say. And you confirm that I heard you. And if I didn't, you correct until I say, okay, make sure I understand you. And so I'm seeking to confirm that I understand how you experienced all of this. Then the roles reverse. I speak and you listen. We're not done just because you were heard. Now I speak and you listen. Then you repeat what I said and I confirm you heard me. Th- this is how you communicate to get understanding. There is an art to this. In fact, there are some, if you will, there's <laughs> there's some practical skill sets that go with the steps. So let me give them to you. It's going it's like the, it's going to take the whole screen. And and I know it's detailed more than I have time to teach. But I'm going to put the whole thing up here because I want you to see. Hearing skills to resolve conflict. These are the kinds of things that that I had to learn in relationship to get past myself. To these are humble engagements. In other words, when I'm listening to you, no distractions. There's no phone. There's no TV. There's no interrupting. There's no correcting. You don't say, "Well, here's how I feel." I say, "Oh, that's not true." No, I'm I'm listening. I'm not correcting. I'm just listening. I'm trying to. Maybe I take notes if I need to keep track as I'm listening. And there's no dismissing. There's no oh, sigh, eye roll, immediately shuts down communication. No defensiveness. There's no correcting while I'm listening. There's no debate from either of us until both have heard. There's no always or never. If you're the communicator, you say, well, you always, come on. Nobody's that consistent. <laughs> well, you never really never. Cause Always, always triggers and never is never helpful. So those are just rules. They always trigger. They're never helpful. And there's no solutions until both have heard. Get this down. You don't learn how to do this. You'll never learn how to resolve conflict. You don't go to solutions until both of you have had the time to hear each other. There's no attacking. As you explain your experience in the conflict, I'm going to attack as I explain mine. You explain yours. No name calling. Listening is to hear and be heard. It is to gain understanding, not agreement. The first thing you're doing is trying to gain understanding. We're not solving anything. We're first understanding. Mutual understanding precedes any mutual solution. Listening will demand you get past yourself. Past who? Yourself. That's what it demands. That you get past yourself. we were in Colorado. Decide so if I have time, and I do. We we're in Colorado, and they were teaching us. Marsh and I did a last weekend did a marriage conference for a church that Twelve has been encouraging, and and we taught on the weekend. And before we did that, we said, "Well, we're out here. Let's do some dog sledding and some snowmobiling." Anybody ever love that? Anybody ever ever tried dog sledding? That was pretty cool. Anybody do the snowmobiling thing? Oh yeah, God's in that. Although I don't love snow, but if I'm going to be there, that's kind of like a motorcycle on, on snow. It's fantastic. So, so we went, you know, to the Continental Divide. And, and so, but, but before they put us on snowmobiles, the majority of people never really been on a snowmobile. And they give you a seven-minute instruction on how to handle a snowmobile. Now, everybody heard the instruction, but how good do you think they were? Here's the last thing the guy said. Now, listen, if you panic, don't get death grip. Which means don't floor it because if you do, you're gonna get in trouble. All every listen, everybody heard the instruction, they just couldn't do it. You understand that? Just because you hear something doesn't mean you can do it. The power of resolving conflict is not just hearing that list I just said. It's actually learning the skill. It takes time. You got to actually be able to do it. So lo and behold, you can guess what's going to happen. We're doing. We're having a great ride, and they're in different groups. And we went up this major kind of mountain hill, and we're coming down, and we end up crossing another group. And as we're crossing another group of snowmobilers, we're all equally inexperienced. And I can see the guy on the left coming with his wife. Like, they're making me nervous. I just see how they're handling the snow. So I just stopped. Marcia kept going. I stopped. And literally, as his right uh, side started to hit a little mogul thing, he floored it. He panicked, floored it. Literally, literally just up in the air directly across my path and dropped it right in front of me. And I'm like, you poor guy, I know what happened. You know all the instructions until under pressure, because under pressure, we do dumb things. Under pressure, we do what? Dumb things. And we do that in conflict resolution. Under pressure, we do dumb things. We floor it. We blow it because we really don't have the skill. By the way, I I felt bad for the guy. I really did. I remember when I was 17, bought my first dirt bike. When I got my first dirt bike, a friend gave me seven minutes of instruction. And so I figured out how to pop a wheelie and drop it, pop a wheelie and drop it. I was showing my cousin the next day. I was so proud of myself. Pop a wheelie, drop it, pop a wheelie, drop it. And then one time I popped a wheelie. And, and, and I didn't let go and I floored it and panicked and I did a wheelie right through the front door of the townhouse and then up the stairs <laughs> and then flipped backward. I literally flattened the door of the townhouse, ripped it off its hinges, went right up the stairs, dropped backwards and I'm looking out the door at my cousin. I'm like, well, that wasn't good. Mom's going to come home and appreciate that. See, I can give you instruction, but it doesn't mean you know how to function. This requires training and skill. How do you solve conflict? Learn to listen. You got to get past yourself to do that. Second, confess and change. Confess and change. How do you resolve conflict? Confess and change. Really profoundly practical. Get past the dysfunction of apologizing without adjusting. And I found in a lot of my relationships, I was quick to say, Oh, I'm sorry. And what I was really doing is escaping accountability. I was just getting past it. I was just like, Oh, I'll be, just leave me alone. Okay, well, we're good. Don't worry. I, I don't want the conflict. It is the nature of dysfunction to either not apologize or apologize without actually adjusting, to confess without change. And it's interesting in Abraham and Sarah's story that they had a moment. Where God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I know it's been 25 years and you're 100 years old, but I'm still going to give you a child. And he's like, yeah, really? Can, can a man have a child at this stage of life at 100 years old? And Abraham laughed. And then, then when God said that, Sarah heard from the tent what, what God was saying through the angels. And, and, and Sarah heard it and she laughed. So they both laughed. Now, maybe one was more unbelief than the other belief. But then Abraham came back to his wife because the angel said, how come, how come she's laughing as if God cannot do this? So Abraham comes to Sarah and he has a, a conflict confrontation moment. He says, uh, Sarah, why, why, why did you laugh? Hang on. Why did you laugh? Confrontationally, kind of aggressive. And here, here was her response. Sarah was afraid. So she what? Lied and said, I did not laugh. I like the way it ends, but he said, Yes, you did laugh. <laughs> yes, you did. And it's interesting in the confrontation, she lies. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really laugh. She didn't want to confess. And Abraham, why did you hide? Why didn't you just tell your wife, Hey, I know you laughed, but listen, I did too. I understand. I get it. We all mess up. We all struggle. We all have similar struggles. It may not justify it, but I understand it. Mutually confess. Just, just own it and fix it. Just own it and fix it. So we were traveling to Virginia. And I don't know if you travel much, but this is Marsha's suitcase. This is my suitcase. And We were traveling to Virginia about a month ago and we were teaching on a weekend at a, a church again, that 12 Stones Mentoring. And and it was just a quick trip. We were going up Saturday and coming back Sunday. And so this is her carry bag. This is my carry bag. And, and, we, and when, we, when we got on the plane, it was frustrating. I don't know if you've traveled enough to be frustrated by this stuff. But I have a carry-on for reason because I want to carry it on. I don't want to check baggage. And when we were getting on the plane, they said, oh, this is a check baggage plane. I don't want a check baggage plane. I have carry-on. I have stuff in it. I want the stuff with me. And when you get to the end, just before you get on the plane, they put a little tag on it. say, We'll put it under the plane for you. I don't want it under the plane. I want it above my head. It's carry on for a reason, but I don't get to carry it on. Then we got to our destination and we had to wait for them to bring it off and when they brought it off they brought up these two together which was fantastic we were we were like early and giving them together and then they brought them out together and i saw so i grabbed the two and we ran cuz we had to get there and we got to the rental car and jumped in the rental car and threw our our baggage in the back and then i got to get gps to get to the church it's an hour away and and I'm like, you know what I should do? I should get my cord that plugs in for car play to my phone, to the car, so it doesn't die, so I have directions and say, oh, no, I don't need the plug. Yes, I do. No, I don't. You ever argue with yourself? Conflict with it? I'm like, I don't know. I think I, I oh, who cares? It doesn't matter. Oh, I should do it. So I go to the back, and I unzip, and I look, and my cord is not in there. It's so exhausting. I mean, you, how many of you, you know you put it in there? It's supposed to be in there. Where is it? It's, there's nothing in there, and then I'm like, fine. I'll just go in the bag. And so I unzipped my bag because I got a backup in there. And when I went to unzip my bag and opened it up, there was a pink woman's hat in there. <laughs> Who, while they had it, while Delta had it, they put a pink woman's hat in my suitcase. Ding! This ain't your suitcase. Oh my goodness. It's ident- It's mine. It's not mine. I said, "Marsha, just sit here. And I ran back into the airport, and I went to the Delta counter, and I'm pulling this with me. And I get there, and I say, uh, I have a suitcase problem. She says, is your name Kevin? I said, yes. She says, yeah, yours is over here. I said, I have, and thank God, the poor lady, whose suitcase I had was standing there. She says, why did you take my suitcase? I said, <laughs> I, said, I, said I don't want your suitcase. I don't even want your pink hat. But we put our suitcases side by side. And she said, oh, my. I said, yeah, they're the same. I said, I just assumed. And so I confessed. I owned it. I humbled myself. And then we went home and we got the little green tags and we put them on so that in case our carry-on has to go underneath, which it shouldn't. (laughs) And we changed. You know, one of the things makes it possible to resolve conflict is if you'll just confess and own your stuff and then change. See, that's why the scripture says in Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. To learn how to hear and be heard And to confess and change, to truly, practically, spiritually change requires the Holy Spirit doing that work in you. You can't do it on your own. You have to get past yourself to get past dysfunction. And so we're going to have a moment. Pastors are going to give you a question, a couple of questions. And we need a couple of questions to think about the day. We're going to pray over you. But maybe you'll discover that you don't easily get past yourself to get past your dysfunction and that the thing only the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, only he can do requires his power more deeply within you. So let me give you one more encouragement before Pastor step up with questions. Yesterday we had a prayer time that was so marking and profound and a time of surrender before the Lord and we pray over the weekend every Saturday at 8 a.m. and this one went probably 30, 40 minutes longer than normal. If the Holy Spirit prompts you, I wish 10,000 of us would go on YouTube, 12 stone prayer and put 80, 90 minutes into a time of prayer and surrender so that God could begin to do freshly in us the change, the confess and change that lets the Holy Spirit do the work only he can do. So pastors lead us in the questions and then pray over us.